Hello, church family. Go ahead and be seated. It isn't fun interrupting all of you greeting each other. It's fun to watch. <laughs> uh, welcome everyone here to the brook. And for those of you who are joining us online, we are glad you are here. And uh, last week here at the brook, we celebrated Easter, uh, which is the holiday where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, um, the thing is, the celebration doesn't end. You see, this week is actually Easter for the Eastern uh, Orthodox Church. So 220 million Christians are celebrating Easter today, actually, because, it because it's um, out in, in uh, like Ukraine and Russia and in that area, they celebrated last night. And one of the cool things about that is they celebrate it for 40 days. They call the celebration Pasha. And right now, this is when, you, when Ukrainians and the Russians are celebrating their Easter. And unfortunately, um, they were trying to seek a truce for Easter so that they could all celebrate, um, but, the, but, but uh, Putin did not allow the truce to happen. The war continues. But the resurrection will transcend this war. It will transcend all wars. The victory of Christ will not be defeated. So I'm going to take some time and pray for them, and I'm going to pray for, for the preaching of the word today as well. So if you could pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your victory over death. We thank you that, that you are a great God and that you are undefeated, Jesus. Lord, we, we pray for our brothers and sisters both in Ukraine and in Russia, Lord. We pray for your mercy on them. We ask God for a swift and just end to this war. Lord God, I pray that as the, the gospel is preached over these next 40 days as they celebrate Easter, I pray that despite the heart of church leaders, the contradiction of this war against the gospel would be clear. I pray that as they spill each other's blood, Lord, that when they drink the wine of communion, they would taste the disgust. I pray, Lord, that as they carry bodies and they break the bread of unity, Lord, that they would repent of their sin. Lord God, you turn the heart of kings, God. Putin is not immune to your sovereignty, Lord. We ask God that you would change his heart. Lord, please bring justice. Please bring healing. And God, there needs to be restoration, Lord. I pray for the pastors and the priests who are ministering to the refugees in Europe and here in the States, God. I pray that you give them, you give them wisdom, you give them grace, and I pray that they would preach gospel, God. They wouldn't preach politics, they would preach gospel, God. And I pray for the lost to be saved, and I pray for forgiveness and reconciliation. In the name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, as we, as, we pre, as we get to open up the word together here as a church, I pray that we would see Christ enthroned. Lord, you, you have risen up both from the grave and into heaven. 
And we, we read the word and we preach the word every week because we know that you're there. And Lord, you promised in Luke 11 that you give good gifts and you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Lord Jesus, I ask for a fresh filling of your spirit as I preach your word. Holy Spirit, you have been my companion since I was five. Please accompany me today as I preach. And Lord, make the name of Jesus glorious in this room. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, church. So we, like I said, we celebrate Easter because it is a fantastic holiday. Uh, the resurrection of, of Christ is central and core to, to our faith because it is the confession that we will one, one day defeat the grave too and follow our Christ. Now, um, that isn't the only thing, though, that Jesus did that we call gospel or good news. So we're going to talk today about something we don't usually talk about, and it is the ascension of Jesus Christ. It, when we talk about the ascension, what we are referring to is the fact that Jesus, uh, 40 days after he rose from the grave, ascended into heaven. He rose up on the clouds and into heaven. And this is something that's been important to Christians for thousands of years. I want to read to you something from the Apostles' Creed. Uh, this is from the second article. This is, a, this is a creed that's 1,600 years old. It says this, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. And this is where it gets the ascension. He ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. This is a confession of faith that the church has confessed for quite a while. In fact, in a lot of churches, everybody confesses this when they're baptized. So the ascension is something that's core to who we are as Christians. And uh, just to let you know, get, let you into my process a little bit, whenever I write a sermon or I'm writing a paper for school, I listen to music that's on that topic. So, so if I'm preaching on the resurrection, I like to listen to songs on the resurrection. And I had a difficulty with this passage because there's a lot of really old songs on the Ascension. But there's not a lot of contemporary Christian music or praise anthems that are written about the Ascension. Now, that is not, that is not a criticism of modern Christian music. What that is, is saying there are avenues and areas of the glory of God and of the gospel that we have yet to explore, and there's more for God to be praised in. And so we're going to be talking about the ascension today. Why would it matter for us today in 2022 in the city of Chicago? So I want, to, want you to join with me. Go ahead and stand as we read Acts 1, 1 through 11. Again, that's Acts 1, 1 through 11. I'm going to read the whole passage, and we're going to talk about the whole thing a little bit, but we're going to be focused on verses 6 through 11. This is what the word says. In the first day, or excuse me, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. 
after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And this is verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the time or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. All right, so this is the first part of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. He was a medical doctor, and he was also a theologian and historian. This dude has PhDs for days. Um, and he had written to this guy Theophilus before in the gospel or the good news according to Luke. This is the second book of a series. So in the first book, in the gospel of Luke, Luke writes about what, uh, what Jesus did, how he was born, how, how he ministered, how he cast out demons and healed the sick, and how he died on the cross and rose again defeating death. And then in this second book that he writes, he talks about what happens after the resurrection briefly and, and how he ascended and then what Jesus did through, uh, through his people after he ascended into heaven. And so in, in verse 3, it gives us a picture of what he was doing for those 30 days, or excuse me, 40 days from the resurrection to the ascension. He says, he presented himself alive to them after a suffering by many proofs. So he, he showed himself to his, to his followers in many ways, showing them that he was alive, um, proving that he had risen from the dead. And then it also said, it says that during the 40 days, he spent the time speaking about the kingdom of God. So we're the, put that in your pocket. We're going we're gonna to talk about that here in a second. But just notice this. Jesus has 40 days to communicate the last things that he wants to communicate to his disciples, and he spends it talking to them about the kingdom of God. And then in verse 4, it says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, what is the promise of the Father? He answers it immediately afterwards. You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he spends those 40 days talking to them about, the, uh, about the, the Holy Spirit, the giving of the Holy Spirit, and talking to them about the kingdom of God. And then we, we get into verse 6, where we're going to spend most of our time here. He, uh, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So, 
Fair question, right? The, the disciples are like, okay, Jesus, we've spent 40 days talking about the kingdom of God. When are you going to bring the kingdom and the reign of God into Israel? And this is something that they've been hoping for for generations. At this point, Israel had been under the reign uh, of the Romans and their oppression for quite a while. And so this makes sense. They're, they're looking at Jesus Jesus, you just rose from the dead. Just show yourself to everybody. Do the things you do, and let's get the army together, and let's take Israel back. Now, notice what, how Jesus answers in verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons the, the Father has fixed by his own authority. He basically says, guys, this is none of your business. <laughs> You're kind of missing the point. You're kind of right. We've been talking about the kingdom, but you're kind of missing the point. So let me tell you what I was really talking about. And uh, well, before we go, I, you know, this is not what the sermon is about, but I do want to point something out. Sometimes we can think that now is the right time for God to do something. We're like, man, all the pieces are here. Everything's in place. We want it to happen. We're praying for it to happen. We need it to happen. But God's timing is not always our timing. God is working something out that's greater than what we can see. And again, if you're like, well, I don't see it, that's really literally the entire point. It's not for you to know. And that's what he's communicating to his disciples here. And then in verse 8, he says, but, so you don't get to know this, but what you do get to know is that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he says, you know how I commanded you to wait in Jerusalem until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I baptize you with the Spirit? He says, that's going to happen. You are going to be clothed with power, and then you will be the witnesses to my resurrection, not only in Israel, or not only in Jerusalem or in Judea, which they would have thought of as Israel, but to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then immediately after he says this, it says, when he had said these things, in verse 9, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So he says this big thing, and they're like, what is going on? And then all of a sudden, he just starts going upwards. He gets taken up into the clouds, and, 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 he just, and they're just watching him kind of just disappear. And while they're still kind of processing what's happening, uh, it says in verse 10, that while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in, in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So, so they, they're still figuring this out, and these two guys show up, most likely angels, because they didn't walk up to them, they just appeared, and told them, you know, stop staring, dudes. Let's go do what you're supposed to do. And so what are you supposed to do with that? <laughs> I mean, they don't know what's going on. Well... In a, in a rare act of obedience, the disciples do the last thing, <laughs> right? They have a tendency to disobey him, but this time they didn't, so that was good. <laughs> the la they followed the last command, which was to wait into Jerusalem. So they go back into the city, 
And what we see through the rest of Acts chapter 1 is they spend that time in prayer, and we don't know what they're praying for, but most likely because they're waiting for the promise of the Father, they're praying for the Lord to send them the Holy Spirit. And he said, not many days from now. So 10 days later, at Pentecost, there's 120 Christians gathered together. It says in Acts 2, 1 through 4, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here's the thing. Jesus had promised them that he was going to send them the Holy Spirit. They didn't know what that was. They didn't know what that meant. They had some examples from the Old Testament, but they didn't know what that was going to look like. When this happened, it was pretty clear that it happened. They're like, okay, well, that's it. That's what we've been waiting for. And it started such a commotion that, that a large crowd gathered around. And, and one of the disciples, Peter, who was now spirit-empowered, got up and preached to them, explained to them what happened. Now, I want to pause here for a second. You might be thinking, Josh, thought we were talking about the ascension. Why are we on Pentecost? Well, we'll get there. But let me just tell you, it is everything to do with the ascension. So, so, he, so turn with me, and we're still coming back to Acts 1, uh, 6 through 11, but turn with me to Acts 2, verse 32 through 36. That's 2, verse 32 through 36. In verses 22 through 31... Peter spends his time explaining to the crowd about how Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and explaining it from the Old Testament. And then in verse 32, he starts talking about, this, about the ascension. He says, this Jesus, God raised up, referring to the ascension. And of that, we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this what you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. So I want to draw attention to what just happened here. So he's, ta- he's telling them, this Jesus that is, was risen from the dead, God is now raised up into heaven. We all saw it happen. And not only did he raise up, David, the, a king hundreds of years ago, prophesied that the Lord was going to have my Lord sit at his right hand. So when Jesus went up, he didn't just go to heaven. It's saying that, that God gave him the authority to rule and put him on the throne. That's the significance, church. And that's where, that's where we see the first reason for the ascension. It is, the, the, it is only one reason, but it is the most important because all of the other benefits of the ascension flow from this. 
It is since he ascended, he has taken the throne. Since he has ascended, he has taken the throne. Now, you might ask, was not Jesus the king when he came on earth? Well, he was, but let me put it in a way that really translates to, to our reality. When, the pres- when, when you have a presidential election, you might have one candidate who is leading in the polls. Like 90%, like 90% of people love this dude. That would never happen in America. But, <laughs> but let's just say, for example, you got this guy who's winning, like just clearly winning. Has he won it yet? No. Or let's say he wins the election. He's beat the other guy. Is he the president yet? No, he's won the election, but he doesn't have the power and the authority of the president. It isn't until his inauguration that he is sworn in as president and then he gets the nuclear codes. This is when he's the president. Thankfully, we haven't used that yet. (laughs) Um, Same thing with Jesus, okay? So Jesus, when he was on the earth... He, he performed miracles and signs and wonders. He was healing the sick, casting out demons, and showing to everyone that he had the power of the king. But he was not yet enthroned. Likewise, when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, defeating both our sin and the grave, he had won the victory to secure his kingdom. But he was not yet reigning. It is when he ascended and he went up to heaven and the angels saw him coming and said, open up, O ancient gates, let the king of glory come in, that the father said to the son, take your seat and rule. The ascension is Jesus' inauguration as king. When he took the throne, it was the beginning and inauguration of the kingdom of God. Now, because he is on his throne, it leads us to the second reason for the ascension. And it's this. Since he ascended, there is a human on the throne of God. This is incredibly important, church. You see, the Bible teaches that Jesus was God, always was. He is God, and he always will be God. But it also says that when he was conceived in his mother Mary, the Son of God took on our humanity, fully human, human mind, human body, human soul. And when that happened, he didn't just let it go when he died. When he rose from the dead, he didn't just peel off his human self like a, like a lizard out of his skin. He kept his humanity. And it it talks about in the Gospels that he would cook and eat fish with his disciples. He still had the scars in his wrists and in his feet and in the side from where he was speared. And he took that body with him when he ascended. There is a human body on the throne of God. It is both, it is God who took the throne, but it is also a human seated and reigning. 
And this means the world for you and me. You see, we followed our parents, Adam and Eve, in their sin. It is because of our disobedience, our lovelessness, and our selfishness that we are unfit for heaven. We are unfit for the presence of God. And it is our fate that we would be destined for destruction and, and separation from God in this life and in the next. But when Jesus died and rose again, he created a new path for humanity. Not a path that we follow in our own works, but he says that when you turn to him in faith, when you make him your God, the object of your worship, and your king, the one who you have allegiance, the master of your life, what happens is that us being destined for the grave, he all of a sudden knits his fate with ours. So that his death becomes our death. His grave becomes our grave. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. And his ascension to glory becomes our ascension to glory. So that all those he claims as his will be with him where he is. Where he's at, we will be. Church family, I will be in heaven. Not because I'm good. Not because I preach the word on Sundays or go to church. I will be there because that's where he is. And where he is, my soul will be. So if you have not met the King Jesus enthroned in heaven, he loves you. He took on a grave for you. And you are welcomed into his love by faith. And for those of you who doubt when Satan comes to whisper in your ear of your guilt, or when he goes, when he goes up before the throne to accuse you of your sin, you don't need to prepare a case. You don't need to make a, an argument for your own righteousness. Because there is a sun-tanned, scarred-bodied man on the throne. And for every person who he claims as his own, when the devil comes up to accuse, there's not one that he does not stand up and say, Mine! But his scars are not only a sign of his victory. They are a sign of the suffering that he went through. <clears throat> For those of you who deal with trauma, who have gone through difficult things and you carry it both in your, in your mind and in your emotions and in your bodies, or you carry chronic illness, I don't have solutions for you. I'm thankful that the Lord has blessed us with psychiatrists and doctors and therapists who can help out with that kind of stuff. But what I can tell you is that Jesus carries the scars of his trauma with him into heaven so that you don't have to. There will be an end because he chose not to have an end for it. 
His scars heal. And they are a sign that you will be with him one day and you will be whole. So church, don't tell me that doctrine does not matter. Do not let anyone take a human Jesus and a God Jesus from you because they are after your soul. And since there is a human God on the throne, we know that he has ascended. And since he ascended, we all have a mission. Turn with me. We'll come back to Acts 2 here in this section. But turn with me to Acts 2, verse 6 again. Or Acts 1, verse 6. I apologize. Acts, Acts 1, verse 6. Again, then disciples asked the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And again, he says, you know, it's not your time. You don't, you don't know that. And he, reconnect, he, re, he corrects and refocuses what he means by the kingdom of God. So he tells them to wait in Jerusalem until they receive power with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And he promises them that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, people will sometimes call this Luke's great commission. Now, a commission is a command. In verse 8, where's the command, family? There's no command. It's a promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. This is a certainty that the ascended Christ will accomplish. And then he corrects them. He tells them that your vision of the kingdom of God is too small. Jesus is not interested in ruling a kingdom for just one people or one group. His kingdom will stretch to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is worth more than regional praise. His kingdom will grow so that the ends of the earth will not only hear and witness to the kingdom of God, they will have Christ reigning over them. And that corrects and changes our view of the kingdom. You see, what he's saying here is that their view of the kingdom being physical is wrong. The kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about, at least at this part of the passage, is a spiritual kingdom. And you can see the difference in how it is conquered. Unlike all of the earthly kingdoms that came before, he will not come conquering with sword and politics. That's for the Kremlin. He conquers by the Spirit of God poured out. And when we see that, it has a challenge for us. Now, this is a challenge that I specifically want to give to our youth. This is a challenge for all of us, absolutely, but specifically, I want you guys to listen to me on this one. You see, yes, God has called you to be a witness at your school. He has called you to be a witness in your house. He's called you to be a witness in this church to, to Christ as risen. But 
That isn't the only thing he's called you to. Chicago has hundreds of thousands of people where, the, where Christ does not reign in their hearts. Not only that, there is a world, there are ends of the earth that are not yet reached. There are 2,200 languages where there is no Bible translated. How can they praise him if they don't know who he is? There is 122 million people in Japan. 1.7 of them know Jesus. So you can like their anime, you can like Hello Kitty, you can like their food and their culture, but if you do not care that they are perishing without Christ, then you don't love them. And this is not to convict, but this is to point out a calling. You see, the king of heaven has promised that he will accomplish this. And it is yet to be fulfilled. So let's go where the treasure of heaven is not prized. Because an empty grave and a filled throne tell me that he will do it. Now, we, uh, another thing with that is this task is too big for all of us. We can get hyped up all we want, but the job of changing dead hearts to God-loving hearts is not something we can accomplish in our own strength. And that's where we get the next benefit of the ascension, church family, and is that since he ascended, the Spirit of God is poured out. So turn with me, well, actually, first, let's stay here. I want to point something out. So notice again, we've already talked about this, but let's, let's, let's notice it again. In verse five, or in verse four, he says, wait for the promise of the Father. And then in verse five, he says, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized or drenched and soaked in the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And then in verse eight, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is reflecting what he said in Luke 24, uh, which, one second, he said, this is actually worth reading, one second. He says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So before he has them go out on this important mission, he tells them to wait for the Spirit. Kingdom is mentioned twice in this passage. The Holy Spirit is mentioned three times. So I would say it's probably a little important for the ascension, right? So turn with me back to Acts 2, verse 32. And I want to draw your attention to something that we might have missed. It says, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we, will, we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God... And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you are, yourselves are seeing and hearing. So he, say, so he says to this crowd, we've all seen him ascend. He is on his throne and he has now received from the Father the right and the privilege to pour out the Holy Spirit like confetti at the Super Bowl on his people. 
And then he says in verse 34, for David did not ascend into heaven, in the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And this is where we want to focus in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. All right. So this is what just happened there. He is talking to a crowd of people who did not see the resurrection. They did not see Jesus go up in the clouds. But what does he say in verse 36? He says they can know how for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. So how could this crowd not know this without seeing all of those things happen? And let me tell you, Peter wasn't wrong. The reaction to this preaching was that, that 3,000 people were added to that number that day. 120 to 3,000 because of one event. So how could they be so confident? And church family, I will tell you, it is because this crowd knew their Bibles. Specifically, they knew their Old Testaments. You see, the Old Testament is not just a prelude to the New Testament. The gospel is in the Old Testament. Life and everything you need in, in combination with the New Testament it is, it is in the Old Testament. And what they know is that in the Old Testament, the only person who ever gives the Holy Spirit is God. No one else ever gets the right to do that. And they know that in Isaiah, Ezekiel, in Joel, and in Jeremiah, God promises that he will pour out his spirit on, on his people one day. And so they're reading that, and they're seeing this promise that the Holy Spirit will be given, and they know that only God does that. And so they rightly make the conclusion that since this Jesus has ascended and poured out the Spirit, he must be God and on his throne. You see, it is the Christian confession, it is what the scriptures teach, that, that there is one God, but that that God exists as three persons. He is Father, Son, which is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not an energy. He is not a power or a force or a liquid, although we might use some illustrations. He is a he. He is a person. And so when, when Jesus pours out the Spirit, he is giving God himself. And what these readers of the Bible know is that it takes God to give God. And so since he ascended, he has the right to pour out the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Spirit baptizer. And <clears throat> that doesn't stop today, church. You see, we are living in the age of the ascended Christ, which means we are living in the age of the Spirit poured out. He continues to witness to his ascension. I'm going to testify, church. I haven't seen the resurrection. 
I haven't seen him ascended to his throne and carried on the clouds. But let me tell you what, have I, what I have heard and seen. I have seen sinners' hearts healed. I have seen my own sins forgiven. I have seen rebels adopted, families healed. I have heard tongues of heaven interpreted and backs with metal plates healed. And, and, I've, and I've seen swollen hands healed and I've seen cowards turn to courage. I have heard justice called for for black lives in the, in the streets of Chinatown. I may not have seen the ascension, but I have felt the fire of Pentecost in my heart. And I can tell you, church, that this Jesus who my sin crucified is both Lord and Christ. We know he ascended because he did not leave us alone. So don't tell me we don't need the Spirit today, church. Now, this has two challenges. I want to make a slight, uh, we're put little guardrails here for, for us, okay? All right. So, we usually can fall into two errors when it comes to the experience of the Spirit. The first error is we can seek the experience of the Spirit. We can seek miracles and we can seek we can seek the, the, the mountaintop experiences for their own sake. And this is an important thing that we cannot miss. The Spirit of God is not given to you for you. Acts 1.8 says that you receive power from heaven to be witnesses. You receive the power of the Holy Spirit to witness to others that there is a Jesus worth loving. When we disconnect the power of the Spirit from mission, we dislocate the very reason the Spirit was given. Now, on the flip side, what we can often do as well is out of fear for emotionalism and a focus on the experience, we can neglect our need for the power of the Holy Spirit. Because there's some crazy stuff out there, people. Right? So I get it. But the experience of the filling of the Holy Spirit is an experience. There isn't one person in the book of Acts who didn't know they got filled with the Holy Spirit. There was such a big deal that a crowd gathered around. And it's not this one-time deal, church. The filling of the Holy Spirit is talked about in Acts 2. It's talked about in Acts 4 twice. It's talked about in Acts 6, Acts 8, Acts 9, Acts 10, Acts 19, and, 9, and Acts 17. And I'm pretty sure I missed a couple. The first command, excuse me, the last command that Jesus gave his disciples was to wait into Jerusalem until they received the power of the Holy Spirit. They spent 10 days 10 days, not knowing what was going to happen, with their Lord ascended, praying for the Holy Spirit. We should do the same, church. We cannot enter this season of our sea without seeking the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. 
Because I can tell you, I have made a ton of failures. I am not great at what I do. And if I don't, if I don't have the power of the Holy Spirit to help me on mission, it's not going to happen. Now, church, the last, the last reason for the ascension in Acts 1, 11 is this. Since he ascended, he will return. In Acts 1, 11, it says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven. He will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So with the certainty that the Spirit was poured out, he will come back. And it says he will come back the same way. He's coming with his body, church. He is going to be set in foot on the Mount of Olives where he left. And the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 14 prophesied that when that happens, when he sets foot again on earth and God rules, that there will be either neither night nor day because all will be day. There will be a river that flows from Jerusalem to all the nations bringing healing. And God will be king on earth. So church, I am not a good man, but it is my intention by grace and grace alone to spend my life as a witness to Jesus ascended on his throne. And it is my plea for you to not waste your life on anything less than Jesus' name reaching the ends of the earth. Because we have a risen Christ ascended to the throne and the spirit of God poured out. I'm going to invite the worship team and the prayer team to come up right now. And I want to encourage you, anything you need prayer for, please come up. But one of the ways that the Lord empowers his people is through praying over people for the laying on of hands. So I would encourage you that if you are scared or nervous about the mission of God or you feel ill-equipped, come up to someone and have them pray for you that the Lord would fill you with his spirit and empower you. I'll close this in prayer and then they will lead us in worship. Father God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you are risen, that you are enthroned, and that you are worthy of all praise. We ask, God, that you would meet us here, Lord. I pray that you would fill us with courage and with power and with the Holy Spirit for your mission, Lord. And, Lord, may, may we keep the first thing the first thing, that the King is on his throne and worthy. We ask things, these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.